Uh, my name's Callum. I'm the Associate Minister here at St. Peter's Barge. Um, and a warm welcome to you today, uh, particularly if it's your first time uh, along today. Um, we're going to continue with our reading, and then uh, inside your yellow service sheets, there's a little outline of what our sermon uh, is going to be on. Uh, but let me continue um, from uh, Acts chapter 5, uh, starting at verse 27. That's, that's page uh, 1101 in the Church Bibles. Let me pray before we read. Our loving Father, please fill us with your spirit that we might have confidence in your unstoppable work of the gospel. Uh, as we uh, look at the pages of your word, uh, bring them uh, to real life in our hearts and change us as we go into this week. Amen. So Acts chapter 5, uh, starting at verse 27. Uh, the apostles have just been uh, arrested, uh, released, and then re-arrested. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the, his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. <coughs> After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, you'll not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the, the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. <coughs> and then, uh, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Well, do keep that open in front of you. And uh, do keep uh, the uh, sermon outline in front of you. Well, the England cricket team uh, just went on a tour in India. And as, of course, you can... I predict the headlines, India, uh, England cricket team uh, begin tour of India by visiting local orphanage. It was just so sad 
seeing their desperate little faces so devoid of hope and sad, said one orphan, age seven, about the England cricket team. Now, that was uh, a good opener until about an hour ago when England kind of rallied and uh, who knows, the unstoppable force of India may have just met its match in the unstoppable force of, of Baz Ball um, as the England's uh, team style gets known. So, in our passage this morning, we have an unstoppable force. But what actually is it? Luke is showing us in Acts today that God's work is unstoppable. We're picking up back in our series in Acts. The apostles have been teaching the words of Jesus. The Spirit has been empowering them to be the witnesses to the ends of the earth. The church has grown. They are the real deal, the authentic people of God. And through the teaching and preaching of the word, the power of the Spirit has been at work in their lives. And Luke today, in this passage, wants us to have confidence that God is at work in the gospel. That's our first point. Luke begins his, his gospel saying that he wants his readers to have certainty of the things that have happened, to have confidence. And so he's going to make an orderly account. And Acts is like volume two of his work. After Jesus ascends, sends his Holy Spirit, the apostles teach the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins, and that this was God's plan. And here we see just what a radical message this is, because it deals with the question as well of where is God actually working today? Picture it, the apostles have been teaching that God is now at work in everyday people, normal people, through his Holy Spirit. And they've been confirming this message with wonderful signs and wonders. And all throughout Jerusalem, people are beginning to follow Jesus because of the apostles' teaching. So in those days, if you were part of the religious establishment, the elites, you're going to have some opinions about this movement, aren't you? Because it was the case that God had been at work in the temple. It's where his presence was. And his priests were the all-important workers, uh, mediators who would go into the temple on behalf of God's people, into God's presence, and make sacrifice for sin there. And all the teachers of the law, the scribes, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they were all part of the religious establishment, all part of it that kept it all going. But Luke is detailing here what's happening, that these small apostles are preaching the, the weak-appearing gospel of the crucified Jesus means that God is no longer working in the temple, but in his people, in the teaching of the apostles. So Luke sort of sets up a bit of a match here. It's the apostles in one corner. It's the temple establishment in the other. Look at verse 17. The high priest rose up. All who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. In verse 18, they arrested the apostles, put them in a public prison. Everyone can see the apostles are now in jail. You can always tell when an institution is sort of losing its way, uh, when its leaders are jealous and determined to squash anyone uh, on any supposed diversion of opinion 
from the leadership. And the high priest, well, he's the, the biggest dog around. He's got all the Sadducees with him. They're all filled with jealousy. The high priest rose up, stood up, we could say, and they arrest the apostles. On paper, the high priest, the temple establishment, they're the most powerful guys around. Luke's first readers might have been reading this wondering, well, is this the end of the story? (laughs) Did the Jesus movement have a good run and then uh, we leave it there? The apostles are in prison. Surely it's the end of God's work in his apostles. But no. Verse 19, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. They get a supernatural prison break, released by an angel of the Lord. And they're given the simple instruction, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people the words of this life. So they begin to preach. Jealous high priest, supernatural prison break. Where is God at work. It seems that actually the weak apostles is God's chief concern here. He's at work in their ministry and not the jealous high priest. So verse 21, the the end of verse 21, when the high priest came, uh, those who were were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to them to the prison to have the prisoners brought to them. Verse 22, when the officers came, they they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, the captain of the temple and the chief priests, they heard these words and they were greatly perplexed, confused about them, wondering, what has this come to? Well, the apostles are nowhere to be found until verse 25 Someone came and, came and told them, the council, look, the men whom you put in prison, the public prison that everyone could see, they were in prison. Now, today, they're standing in the temple and teaching the people. And verse 26, the, the captain and the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. You see how the power of this temple institution has slipped. Not only can they not hold the apostles, They're afraid of re-arresting them because they don't want a riot. They set them before the council, verse 27. And then we get the clearest explanation of what is going on here. In fact, it might be the the clearest summary of the work of God in the book of Acts. Look with me at verse 28. As the high priest says, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. That's the name of Jesus. Yet here, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. How does Peter reply? Verses 29 to 32. Peter answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. We're witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter's response is, we can't stop and we won't stop. We have to obey God 
rather than you. He's the one who instructed us to be witnesses in Jerusalem. And he's the one who told us to go and stand in the temple and preach. And then he explains the gospel. What the, the message that they are preaching. God raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed at the crucifixion. The risen Jesus was exalted at, at God's right hand. That's talking about Jesus's ascension that we saw earlier in the book. He's now at God's right hand, leader and savior, or or ruler and savior, giving repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Do you see what Peter is doing here in front of all the temple authorities, all the council, all the high priests, all the Sadducees and Pharisees? He's saying Jesus is the risen king, ruler and savior, and he's giving repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. It means Jesus is king and Jesus is priest. Jesus is great high priest. He is the one giving repentance to all of God's people, who is giving forgiveness of sins. He has made the sacrifice for sin. That means repentance, turning away from sin, is possible. So because of Jesus, Peter is saying, God is no longer at work in the temple, here by the ministry of priests and high priests. His presence isn't even here. Where is it now? Verse 32. We're witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Remember how Jesus commanded his apostles to be witnesses in Acts uh, 1 verse 8. Well, here the Holy Spirit is also a witness and empowers the apostles Uh, He is the one who gives them the boldness that they need to be witnesses. But God only gives uh, his spirit to those who obey him, to his people. So it's hard to miss how, how significant all this is. God the Father raises God the Son, Jesus, up, resurrection, and exalts him, ascension. Uh, Jesus offers forgiveness of sins. And the Holy Spirit empowers God's people to be witnesses to God the Father and the Son's actions. So the temple leaders aren't just opposing a sort of underground movement, but they're opposing the faithful triune God. Isn't God's word amazing? In a short paragraph, we have the gospel, the Trinity, Jesus being our great priest and king. And this wonderful message of the forgiveness of sins that Peter is preaching here is available for us today. No matter our sin, no matter how much we've messed up, no matter what we've done, that Jesus died for sinners remains just as true for us today as it did back then. He gives repentance, the the turning away from sin and forgiveness, sin completely dealt with, all because of his crucifixion of being killed on a cross in our place. That is an offer for us today. Let's think about the effect that this would have had on the first readers um, of uh, Luke's gospel, uh, of of the book of Acts. The temple, the high priest, the Sadducees, all the powerful establishments, they're all trying to stop this from happening, to stop people from following Jesus. And it's abundantly clear that God is actually no longer at work in them. They're filled not with the Holy Spirit, but with jealousy. 
and later on, verse 33, they are enraged, angered at Peter's defense and want to kill him. When people think that they are the most powerful, forgetting uh, their place under God, they will be jealous of anything uh, significant happening that they can't control. They simply desire to be at the center of it all. And Luke wants his readers to have confidence that as powerful as the institution of the temple seems, Christians can be confident that actually God is at work, not in powerful institutions, but in them, God's people. He is at work in the sharing of God's word, in the sharing of the good news of Jesus. He's at work in the gospel. So it's not the temple where God is at work, but it is the gospel. And in fact, it should be blindingly obvious to us and to to Luke's readers. Uh, Look at verse 20. In contrast with the high priest standing, uh, the high priest who rose up, standing up, the apostles are told, go and stand in the temple and speak the word of God. It's like God's deliberately placing them at opposition with the high priest. They both of them stood up, but it's the apostles who stand in the temple where God's presence was supposed to be and preach the word. In verse 25, you see the the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple, the supposed heart of the worship of the people of God, where his presence was supposed to dwell, and they're teaching his people. It's almost as if uh, Luke is saying, Don't worry about these temple authorities who say you're not supposed to believe in Jesus. These temple authorities, they're not where God's at work. It's actually the apostles standing right there for all to see, spreading the word, teaching God's people. And that's the same uh, work of God uh, is the same here. The same as we'll see throughout the the book of, of Acts. The word spreads from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth and that work of God is still going on today in fact uh, we here 21st century uh, East London Canary Wharf we're a testament to this being true praise God that uh, the preaching of the word uh, and his work means that we're here together today and By recording the miraculous release of the apostles, you can see Luke is trying to say, be confident, the apostolic faith, it's legitimate. God is at work in the gospel. And that's true today. There are many churches and ministers out there who will say a lot about where God is at work. They'll talk about him being at work in mystery or at work in a particular community. But the bare reality is that we don't have to go searching for this. We need to simply uh, join in with the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus. And that's where we see God at work. We see him uh, at work in our own lives as the good news is proclaimed to us and the lives of others. Recently, I was speaking to somebody uh, who is in the the midweek ministry uh, here in Canary Wharf, whose particular situation, if you were to look at it from the outside, you might have said there was absolutely no hope of change uh, happening here. And he texted me saying, God has done a miracle over Christmas. I was like, well, what, what do you mean? What, what miracle has he done? And he went on to, to say that his particular situation, someone had heard the word of God, repented of sin, and reconciliation was now happening. And truly, lives were being changed because of it. 
where once the situation looked hopeless, now there was sort of a true hope and joy. So have confidence. Where is God at work today? God is at work in the gospel. It might leave us with a question, though. What about when we feel weak? What about when it looks and feels like there's actually quite a bit of opposition to the gospel? And it doesn't seem like God's at work there. That's the second point. Have confidence. God's work cannot be stopped. Having shown uh, that it's not the temple, but the gospel in which God is at work, it becomes clear that God's work can't be stopped. And a miraculous prison break helps to confirm this, doesn't it? In verses 19 to 20. During the night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought out uh, the apostles, saying, go and stand in the temple, speak uh, to the people the words of this life. The apostles, they're, they're broken out of prison. Now, here again, we come to one of these questions that we get when we uh, read the book of Acts. Uh, we have to, to ask, is this normal for all Christians everywhere, or was this a particularly special uh, moment where God is uh, doing something particular? Uh, will everyone, if they are a Christian, um, find themselves uh, in prison? And will everyone, if they're a Christian, find themselves miraculously broken out by an angel? Well, I think if we were to read just this bit of Acts, um, we might think so. But in a couple of weeks, we'll look at, at Stephen, who gets killed for his faith. And in fact, the apostles and early Christians in Acts get imprisoned and opposed all the time. Nearly all of them lose their lives because of their faith in the gospel. And think about places all around the globe where uh, organizations like Open Doors, who we'll hear from uh, soon, support persecuted and oppressed Christians. While it's perfectly possible for God to break them out of prison, it clearly, throughout this world, doesn't seem to be the normal standard. So why does it happen here? Well, I think it's to show as a big signal that God's work cannot be stopped. Try and imprison the apostles and they get broken out. Maybe... Uh, we look at our own situation and we're not immediately facing prison for uh, believing in the gospel and for sharing the word of God. But perhaps in your company at work, there's a bit of a don't bring faith here attitude. And that makes us feel a bit nervous about mentioning whether we're a Christian or not. Uh, maybe we've got family members who have just always said, please don't, just, don't, don't talk about Jesus when you're around us. It's just, it's annoying and I don't want to hear it. And so you find yourself always silencing yourself, stepping back from ever sharing anything about the, the hope that you have in Christ. Well, on the one hand, we can take great encouragement because uh, this passage shows us that God sees great suffering. He knows what is going on. God sees the suffering of our brothers and sisters uh, all around the world. And it's an encouragement because God's work in the gospel uh, can't be stopped. These apostles and their followers will soon face far worse fates than being in prison. And the point is not that God's people will have an easy life, but that his work will carry on. It's sort of like a, a car going downhill with no brakes. There's no stopping it. And then we get uh, Gamaliel's historic examples in verses 33 to verse 40. 
as if to, to prove this, uh, Gamaliel stands up. As the apostles have been uh, brought in and Peter gives his defense that God is now at work uh, directly uh, in his people through the proclaiming of the word of Jesus by the power of his spirit. Everyone's filled with rage, wants to kill them. But Gamaliel gets up and look at verse 34. The teacher of the law held in honor by all the people stood up and gave orders, put the men outside for a little. He says, men of Israel, take care what you do to these men. For before these days, Thudas rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. All who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. So that's historical example number one, Thudas. He rose up thinking he was something special. He got a bit of a following. When he was killed, entire movement flopped. Next example, verse 37. Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. That's historical example number two, Judas the Galilean. He was well known. Um, He led a tax revolt in uh, AD 6 and... uh, Although there's sort of no historical record of Thudas, he was probably a leader of a revolt um, following the death of Herod the Great in 4 BC. It's clear what Gamaliel's getting at. He's effectively saying that once the leader of these little movements is dealt with, done away with, the whole thing usually dies out. The implication, of course, is, well, we, we dealt with Jesus less than a couple of months ago. So the whole thing is probably going to die out. Or at least that seems to be the established pattern. And yet he interestingly sort of concludes, doesn't he? Verse 38. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, you'll not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Gamaliel's interpretation of things, it's quite a humane one, really. Uh, here uh, are historical examples, and now that Jesus is gone, uh, if it's not of God, then it'll all fail, but we should be careful of opposing this just in case it is of God. So they take his advice, verse 40, they call in the apostles, they beat them and charge them to not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. We can take real encouragement from this, as Luke's, uh, as Luke's readers would have done, because The followers of Jesus didn't simply uh, disperse and stop following him, as Gamaliel said might well happen, but they carried on. In fact, the movement didn't die out, as Gamaliel said might well happen, but they carried on. They grew and grew and grew. And so when we look at ourselves here on a Sunday morning and we think, well, we're quite a small bunch in the middle of East London, when we think about the tide of cultural secularism or complete apathy towards the gospel, when family just aren't interested in Jesus, and when colleagues mock the invitation to an Easter event, be encouraged and have confidence. This movement is not of men, but is of God. And so what do the apostles do? Well, they keep going verses 41 to 42. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple from house to house, 
they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They keep going, don't they? And not only that, but they rejoice. It's a strange phrase uh, that they rejoice that they're counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. It means for the name of Jesus. But dishonor is the beating up and charging to be silenced. And they go on from house to house in the temple, teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Savior and Messiah. I was uh, at the gym the other day, go to quite an old run-down gym that has uh, these weight plates that uh, have sort of rust and the, the chrome is kind of peeling. As I put a, a weight on a bar, I managed to slice my finger open slightly and, uh, you know, blood sort of poured down and I was like, well, that's kind of the, the end of that workout, never mind. Um, and, and I went home. God's work is not like that. A slice in the finger doesn't put a stop to it. That's quite challenging, isn't it? Because 21st century London, compared to the rest of the world, compared to the rest of history, we can feel so comfortable. We can feel so uh, comfortable today when the suffering that we experience for the sake of the gospel is just a little bit of discomfort compared to so many brothers and sisters around the world who face so much more. But the apostles uh, suffered even more than that, and globally many suffer uh, more than we do. So it's a challenge. Will we take to heart that this movement is not of men, but of God? If we face uh, uncomfortable questions, difficult situations, a bit of pressure at work, will we take confidence that God's work cannot be stopped? But it's also a comfort. God is at work in the gospel. His work can't be stopped. So we might feel small. We might feel weak. We might feel scared. But no matter the opposition, he won't be stopped. So what will this confidence look like for you? What will uh, keeping going look like for you? Maybe this week you ask for God's help to just be one or two more degrees bold than you were last week. Maybe you pray that God would give you the opportunity to share the gospel this week and and give you the strength to actually take it because you missed an opportunity last week. Maybe the colleague that you've chatted to about Jesus once or twice, uh, you say this week, uh, you know, the best way to get answers about Jesus is to uh, really look at Jesus for yourself. Why don't we meet up and read one of these eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life together? God is at work in the gospel not in temple authorities, but the sharing of his word. Uh, People have always opposed and tried to stop it, but his work cannot be stopped. And so we've got great cause for rejoicing, as these first apostles did uh, when we do face opposition for it, uh, because what we're doing is joining in with God's work, joining in with the sharing of his name. We're going to pause uh, for just a moment and reflect on these things, and then we'll continue our service in prayer.